Now this morning, we are actually closing up our summer series on the Upper Room Discourse, and we've been looking over the last number of weeks at the prayer that Jesus had in John 17 where he's conversing with the Father. And he starts off praying about himself and some requests he had for himself that he brought to the Father. Then he started to pray for the 11, and then this morning, He's going to pray for us, those of us who believe through the word that came through the 11, and we've learned in this series who to come from, from the Father to the Son to the Holy Spirit to the apostles who wrote it in God's word, and through their word, we've come to believe who Jesus is. Baby, you're going to do that, huh? <laughs> um, so... A little bit to strike. This is actually my last sermon. Uh, kind of a senior pastor. I don't have too many more left. I think my wife wanted to get a picture of that. So, <laughs> you want me to wave, baby? <laughs> so, uh, where was I? If you have your Bibles, turn to John 17. And you know, I got to be honest with you. As I read this passage, I really felt lost. I mean, um, I read it over and over again. And you got to realize now, we're talking about a conversation between Jesus and the Father. It doesn't get any deeper than that, does it? I remember being down in Mexico on a missions trip, and I had two big brain brothers with me, Joel Brassfield and Eric Beal. And these guys were talking about stuff that I'm like, what? What do you, what? And I'm just kind of listening in. I, I really, I mean, I'm asking, well, what do you mean by that? And I'm looking up in the dictionary and online afterwards to try just to understand what they were talking about. Now, Joel and Eric are pretty smart guys and pretty deep guys. But you think of Jesus and the Father now, you're going real deep. And so I trust you'll give me grace today when I be honest with you. Even this morning, I got back up, I said, Lord, I'm still not sure I understand this passage all the way. I spent two and a half hours in it this morning, and I still got done and said, I'm still not sure I understand this all the way, but I got to preach it. And so I trust you'll give me a little grace as we seek to understand this together, because as I kept on coming back in the twist and the turns and the depth and the stuff that you go in here, uh, when, when it's all said and done, I kept coming back and some things surfaced. Some understanding started to grow. Some structure was there. And uh, I think, understand the two requests that Jesus was praying in this conversation. And I trust there'll be some things we can get together from this this morning. So let me, let me pray. Father, we need the Holy Spirit. I need the Holy Spirit. Uh, this morning to bring out of this text some things that are eternal, some things that will be eternal for us, some things that will change the way we live and the way we pray and the way we think forever. So Lord, I want to come and I want to invite the Holy Spirit to do things in this time that only he can do to the glory of your name. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. So if you have your Bibles open to John 17, 
The structure is very simple. Starting in verse 20, he turns to pray for us. And then in verses 21 through 23, he's going to pray for the unity of the church, of us with one another. And then he's going to close by praying about his desire for us to be with him in the future. That's really what this passage is about. So let me start with this prayer for unity. As I read this, I want you to um, note that it's about unity, and it's going to start with a book. It's got bookends on it. God's praying about the oneness of, of the believers, and he's praying about the unity. of the, He's moving from our union with one another and with Christ and with the Father to our unity which is that we would grow deeper in this oneness in the way we live with one another. Union has to do with our connection with one another. Unity has to do with our harmony with one another, even though we're different. So watch for that as I read this prayer. Starting in verse 20, we see that Jesus is praying for us. I do not ask on behalf of these alone, I've been praying about the eleven but for those also who will believe in me through their word, that's you and me, that they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. The glory which you've given me, I've given to them that they may be one just as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may be perfected in unity so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you have loved me. Again, note, starting in verse 21, that they all may be one. Then you come down to verse 23 in the middle. He blankets that they may be perfected in unity. In the middle of verse 22, that they may be one just as we are one. Oneness, unity is the heart of this prayer that Jesus wants that we who are different from one another will live in perfect unity with one another. He starts with that we are one but he prays that that oneness, that unity, would go deeper and deeper, that it may be perfected in unity. And in the middle of this bookends, that they may be one and that their unity might be perfected and this whole oneness, he's telling us this. Our oneness is patterned after the relationship that Jesus had with the Father that we're to have with one another. And so this oneness looks like and reflects something of the relationship that the Father and the Son have with one another, that we are to have that kind of relationship with one another and reflect that to each other. Look at again as I say this. Look at, look at verse 21. That they all may be one, even as in the same way you, Father, and you are in me, and I'm in you. It's just like the oneness that Jesus and the Father have. We saw earlier in John, 
where Jesus said that I and the Father are one, and he explained that the Father's in me and I'm in the Father. It's like coffee and cream. What do you do? You take a black cup of coffee, you put it with a cup of cream, and here's the Father as the cup of coffee, Jesus as the cream. You put the two together, and guess what? You mix them. You can't separate them. They're one. Now the coffee and cream have somehow become one rather than two separate entities. Then he says this, that they may all be one, even as you, Father, and me, and I, and you, that they also may be in us. Whoa, talk about getting deep. Wait a minute. Let's add some sugar to the coffee and cream. We're the sugar. Because just like the Father and the Son are in one another and have become one, now he's saying that they also may be in us. Let's add some sugar to this and let's mix it up. And now the sugar, the cream, and the coffee have all become one. And, you know, there, there's something about the, and we'll see this a little bit. He says it again. Look at, let me show it again here in verse 22. At the end he says that they may be one just as we are one. I in them and you in me. There's a oneness of the body of Christ. <laughs> and again, I'm not going to try to explain all this because I don't even get it all. The Father and the Son are one. We've joined in together in that relationship as one with them. And now he says we're all one. And we see this in other portions of the scripture that the body's one. There's this deep unity that's at the core of our relationship with Jesus and with one another. There's a deep oneness that is there. And what does Ephesians tell us? Maintain the unity of the Spirit. It doesn't say create it. We don't have to make unity. It's there. We are one. The desire of Jesus' prayer is we get deeper and deeper into that oneness and that that unity would be reflected in our relationship with one another. And Jesus said this at the start of verse 22. After saying, they may be one just as we are, Father, I'm you, you and me, and they and us. The glory, he says in verse 20, the glory which you have given me. Now the glory which the Father gave Jesus, I've given to them. That they may be one just as we are one, I and them and you and me. Here we go again. You know, I said, what is this? What do you mean, Jesus? You gave them some glory that they might be one. This is my best. Give you my best. Take it and make it better. That's, that's your job. Listen to what 2 Corinthians 4 says. For God, who said light shall shine out of darkness, is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. We know that Jesus is God's glory. He's reflected. You know, the very heart and nature of God are reflected in Jesus because he is God. He's the glory of God in the face of Jesus. But we have this treasure. What treasure? the glory of God in the face of Jesus in earthen vessels, in our bodies. We are indwelt by the glory of God himself, by Jesus. This treasure in clay pots, 
And so what Jesus says, I've given them the glory that you've given to me. You know, glory, I'm going to do this quick. Glory, we go back to Exodus. God revealed his glory to, to Moses, right? What was his glory? The glory was the very nature of who he was. And so God, who he is at the depths of his being, is his glory. It's his essence. It's who he is. And so what he's saying here is, is that, you know, Father, I'm in you, you and me, and guess what? I've given them the gift. I've given them the glory of our life in them. And that's what he explains that. He says, verse, the glory which you've given me, I've given to them. Why? That they may be one just as we are, I and them, you and me. So this glory that God has given, this, matter of fact, remember Colossians? Christ, the hope of glory. Uh, Christ in you, the hope of glory. God's glory is dwelling in us. What's that? It's the very life of Jesus. That very life of Jesus, we become one, one. Jesus is in me. Jesus, uh, you're in Jesus. Jesus is in the Father. The Father's in Jesus. The Father's, you know, it, it, this, you get it. There's a deep spiritual oneness. The glory of God lives inside of you and me. Jesus in you the hope of glory. That's amazing truth. And what he tells us here is that Jesus living in me is not only the hope of glory, it's the hope of unity. Unity comes because Jesus is living inside of me. Let me, let me explain that. You know, I thought about that as I'm trying to put all this together. How does the indwelling Christ become the cause of my unity? This is what Jesus is saying. You know, they might be in a so they might be unified. We're one just one, so we'll be unified. These are Jesus' words. The indwelling spirit of Jesus living in me is that which is, produces unity. And I thought, how? How? You know, I just couldn't put the logical pieces together. Then I thought about this. How about if we put a whole bunch of people that don't know Jesus in the same room? People of different genders, two genders, different generations, different races and colors of their skin, different economic uh, standings, different political beliefs, and even different vaccinated thoughts. You know, that became a big war. And so here you got, you put a bunch of people that don't know Jesus in the same room. What's the hope of them living like Philippians 2 says? Listen to what Philippians 2 says. Make my joy complete by being of the same mind, remaining, re, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose, doing nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regarding one another is more important than yourself. What are the chances of that happening apart from Jesus? And you know what? We look at the world and we see what it's like without Jesus. And you put that kind of group together. But unfortunately, you look at the church and often we don't look more different. 
because people identify more on their political beliefs and their vaccination. We saw from Jesus earlier in this, he says, when the thinking of the world gets into the church, it creates disunity. And so many believers today are identifying more with what the world identifies with than what the kingdom of God in Jesus identifies with. And Jesus is saying, guess what? I gave them my life to live in them so that they may be perfected in unity. So this is what I see happening because Jesus lives in me. We know this from Romans 8. What does he do? He breaks down all my fleshly stuff and he fills me with the resurrected life of Jesus. So Jesus living in me is at work in me to destroy all my fleshly attitudes, all my fleshly thinking, all my fleshly actions and habits and beliefs, and they're breaking all that down and replacing it with a very resurrected life of Jesus. And then we learn in Peter, he's the guardian and the shepherd of my soul. So Jesus is living in me. Go, wait a minute, Pat, that attitude's out of line. And he's pulling me back and he's convicting me. He said, well, you, you can't think like that. You can't act like that. You can't speak to them like that. And so we, we've got Jesus living in us, the very glory of God. And he's the hope of our unity together and how desperately the church needs unity today. Not just Moraine Valley, yeah, we need it here, uh, but you take the church at a much larger level and how we divide it, add in theological differences and things like that. Absolutely, there's some foundations, Jesus, who he is, his deity, uh, the way of salvation, these are important things. But we can't divide over end times and whether or not you're a five or four point Calvinist or whatever, that's craziness. But the church is doing that all over. And here's the problem with that. Look back at the text. And verse 21. That they may all be one even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me. This unity sends a message to the world around us. Look at down in verse 23. I and them and you and me that they may be perfecting me. Why? So that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you have loved me. Our unity, what is produced by Jesus and it's deep and it's real, and all of our differences are dropped and we're living with harmony with one another because our values are the kingdom of God and not the values of the world. It sends a picture to the world, one thing. You know what, this Jesus who they worship and love, he really did come from God. He really was the Messiah. He really is the savior of the world. That's what Jesus says. When we're living in unity, it sends out a witness and a message to the world about that Jesus really is who he is. And here's the second one it does is this. End of verse 23. And love them even as you have loved me. Something of God's love will be picked up in our unity.
they're going to recognize that God loved them. And you know what? This is one of these things. Is them referring to the world or to the church? Commentaries are split on it. Every use to they and them in this context comes to the believer. But grammatically in this phrase, it would, the antecedent would be the world for them. And so I'm not, I'm not sure. All I know is this, something of God's love is going to be reflected to the world. And I think it might actually be saying this. The world's going to recognize that God loved them, the world, as much as he loved Jesus. You say, wait a minute, really? Well, doesn't John 3.16 say, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son? There's something about when we live in deep, real, Holy Spirit-produced unity. Where all our differences don't mean a thing, what means a thing is walking with Jesus and loving one another. It sends a message to the world that Jesus is real and God loves them. And he loves his children as much as he loves Jesus. That's the first prayer request in this passage. There's a second one. And that, that comes in, um, you know, Pete, I'll come back to those verses near the end if I remember. And uh, so we'll hold on to those for a few seconds. The second prayer request is this, that Jesus says, starting in verses um, 24 through 26, his second request is, Father, I want them to be with me. Now, we know because you've been here through the whole series, this whole passage of the Upper Room Discourse is based upon the fact that Jesus said, I'm going back to the Father and where I'm going, you guys can't come. I go, wait a minute, why can't we come? And you know, all this, you keep seeing it throughout the whole passage. Jesus says, I'm leaving to go back to the Father. And now Jesus is gonna finish his prayer by saying, Father, I want them to be with me. So let's look at this passage. Watch for that as I read it, because now Jesus is closing up the upper room discourse prayer with what he started with, telling him, I'm going back to my father. Now he's closing it, praying, I want these guys to be with me. Remember, he's praying for those of us who believe in him because of the word which came from the disciples we now have in the word. Father, in verse 24, I desire that they also whom you have given me, it's the believers, be with me where I am. Because we know where he's going. He's going back to the Father. But look at now he gives them the reason why he wants them to be with. So that they may see my glory, which you've given me, for you love me before the foundation of the world. Now, we know from John 1 that when Jesus came, it said, we beheld, speaking of those who walked, we beheld his glory as of the only begotten of the Son, full of grace and truth. So they saw the glory of God, but you know what? They saw a veiled sense of God's glory. Remember on the Mount of Transfiguration when Jesus opened up more of his glory before the guys? I mean, it just, whoa, so 
What was seen of Jesus on earth was the glory of God, but it was a veiled sense of his glory. Jesus prayed, now, I want my children, I want the believers in Jesus to be with me so they can see the fullness of my glory. Then Jesus continues the conversation here. And he, he goes to, um, remember I told you a few weeks ago, this is a, con- I love this. Converse, you know, sometimes, I got to admit, sometimes I just give the request, let's get through this and let's get it done. There's some people, you know, they're talking a long time ago, okay, get to the request. But you know what? Jesus was in a conversation, that's good. It's actually a good thing, a conversation with the Father. There were some requests in here, but there was, and so now we're moving back from the request into the conversation. And in the midst of his conversation with the Father, he's going to reveal a very important truth to us. Watch for this as I read in verses 25 and 26. O righteous Father, although the world has not known you, yet I've known you, and these, speaking of the 11 right there, have known that you sent me. And I've made your name known to them and will make it known. What's he mean by that? Now he's praying. He's praying here and he's saying, you know, Father, you know, the world doesn't know you, but these know you, and I've known you. Guess what I've done? I have made known your name to them. I've made known to them your character, the way you think, the way you feel, what your will is, your attitudes, your desires. Fill in the blank. That's what name is. It represents all who God is. Jesus saying, I revealed to them who you are. And look at what happened as a result of that. So that, again, this is is just a fact. So that the love with which you love me, the love, Father, with which you love me. We're listening to the prayer of Jesus and the Father. Father, the way you loved me may be in them and I in them. This is amazing stuff. Wait a minute. The very love that the Father has for the Son would be in us, be in you and me. The same kind of love that the Father had for the Son would be in me. So this is what I believe it means. And for many of us, this is a challenge for us. How much am I loving Jesus? Guess what? It looks like I've got the ability to love Jesus the way the Father loves Jesus. And that same love that the Father had for the Son, now I can have for the Son, and I can have for other believers in the body of Christ because now God's love is dwelling in me. Because you know what? If you want to define love, let me spell it for you. Most of us spell love, L-O-V-E. This is how love is spelled, J-E-S-U-S. Jesus is love. It's a fruit of the Spirit. It's a manifestation of the indwelling glory of God who lives in us, the Son himself, living in me, living out through me. His love, the very love of God in me to love one another, to love the world around us, 
to love the Son himself and to love God. We, what an amazing thing that the love of God can live inside of me and Jesus living inside of me. And he says, this all came because as I made myself known to them. You know, guys, we have some different ways we get to know God. One of the ways is through his word, probably the, the primary way. This is the objective truth, God's word himself. Uh, also, we learn something about God from one another because as they say, some, some things are better caught than taught. You know, you can teach this, but boy, when all of a sudden you see somebody living what this says, they go, whoa, that's what it looks like. That's who God is. But this is saying there's something about when I understand more about God, and I'm not just talking about an intellectual understanding. I'm talking about a heart that grasps it and sees it. My eyes are open like, whoa, that's what God is like. You know what happens? My love the experience of God's love in me grows. That's what Jesus said. You go back, look at yourself. The more we know God, the more of the love of God that will fill our hearts. The more we can walk in unity with one another. So, let me... So let me, let me say this. I'm sorry. I kind of got away from my notes this morning. Um, but the, the one thing to say is this. I hope, I hope as you come to this holy book, your biggest goal is not just to learn more knowledge about the Bible, not just get the text right, not just to make it a blueprint for how to live my life. The greatest use of this book is to learn of God. Remember, he is the subject, we're not. And so many of us read this book as if we're the subject of the book and everything's about me and for me. Everything about this book is about God and for him. And as I come to this book, I need to come humbly in dependence upon the Spirit of God. Show me who God is. Help me understand more. Help me make him the subject of this book rather than me the subject of this book. And as the Holy Spirit opens up the eyes of my heart to see God like I never saw before, this happened to me in Psalm 8 recently. I I was reading it, and um, it talks about who is man, that God should even consider him. And he talks about how, you know, the finger, you know, the world is just the work of his fingers, you know. And, and you know, many of us look at man, who is man like we're not worthy, you know, because look at who God is. I don't think this is what the passage is saying. It's amazing to think, here's the creator of the universe who created everything there is just with his finger, this finger work. For me, pick up this paper, his finger work. It wasn't like God got done creating the world and he's so worn out that he can't, you know, do anything. It was the work of his fingers. And who am I that that kind of God would think about me, even consider me? That's what I'm saying. When we see God for who he really is, you can't go, wow, God, I can't believe it. My love for God and my worship for God that morning just went through the roof as I'm just worried. God, I can't, this is unbelievable. It's not that I'm not worthy to be thought of. It's, I can't believe that somebody as big as God, God himself, the creator of the universe, 
even thinks about me. It's amazing stuff. And when we see God for who he is, my heart can't help but grow in my love for God with the very love that God has placed in us because he's placed Jesus in us, the very glory of God. And what happens is then, and let me I'll bring it to a close here. What happens is this. Now we meet together Sunday morning. Some of us have had some rough weeks with one another. Some of us have rough years with one another. There's some things that have happened. There might be generational differences. There may be racial differences. There may be vaccination differences. There may be economic differences. There, you know, fill in the blank. But whatever is those things got between us, and we started to think and act like the world and out of our flesh, rather than like the indwelling Jesus was living in me and doing something. You see, communion, listen to what 1 Corinthians 10 says. Is not the cup of blessing with which we bless a sharing in the blood of Christ? This represents the blood of Jesus. Is not the bread which we break a sharing in the body of Christ? Since there's one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. You know what? We, we use crackers now. <laughs> if we had a loaf of bread here, that pictures our oneness and the many different little pieces that come off that. We are one. And so I'm going to come back to a couple passages I was going to use earlier, and I'll close with this for communion. Pete, put up Matthew 5, 23 and 24. I'm going to die. Okay. I usually print off the PowerPoint so I can see them, and I didn't. So I'm going to turn around and read these because I can see them better. Is that okay? Ah, much better. Listen to what Jesus said. Therefore, if you are presenting your offering at the altar, and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your offering there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, then come and present your offering. I don't know of a more worshipful time than communion. You know what Jesus is saying? If you got something against a brother or sister, you need to go clean that up even before you take communion. He wants us to make sure that our hearts are clean with one another. And if they remember, you know what? Somebody's upset with me because I, I did hurt them and I wronged them. I need to put off communion this month and I need to get that cleaned up. Or maybe you say, I got to clean that up right now and still take communion today. But I got to encourage you this. If somebody's got something against you, deal with it. Deal with it. Then listen to what Jesus said later on. If your brother sins, go and show him his fault in private. If he listens to you, you've won your brother. So on one hand, you remember that somebody's got something against me because I sinned against them. This passage is talking about somebody who sinned against you. 
and you need to go. So what does Jesus say? If you remember somebody's upset with you because you sinned against them, you need to go. He also says, if somebody sinned against you, you need to go. Here's the ideal. Going takes humility. <laughs> I don't know if, if you've ever done it. I've lived long enough to do this many times. <laughs> and a lot of humility. God, really, really? Huh? Whoa, 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 wait a minute. You don't understand. And God's going, no, babe, you don't understand. And so there takes a lot of getting down before God and a lot of Jesus. You live him. You've got to give me the humility to go. And in an ideal world, in an ideal church, what's going to happen is, is this person who has something against this person is going to be going, and this person who said that person against me is going to be going, guess what? They're going to bump into each other. I kind of see it this way. They're both bent over so low in humility, they hit each other's heads, not recognizing that they're going for each other to say, we got to fix this thing. Because Jesus said, even before we go to worship him, we need to resolve our relationships. So this morning, let's go to communion. If God brings back, you know what? I'm not in Korea, I'm go hunting. Is there somebody I didn't know? The Spirit of God will bring it to your mind. You'll know. You'll know. You don't have to go hunting and examine. I'm not saying go examine yourself like that. No, if there's some, something there, the Spirit of God will bring it to you. Just open up here and say, God, if there's anything, let me know. And uh, as we take the bread this morning, remember this. Our hope of unity is Jesus. Because unity is spelled J-E-S-U-S. Just like humility is spelled J-E-S-U-S. Love is spelled J-E-S-U-S. Fill in the blank. The hope of a glorious life, of a glorious church that reflects the very nature of God is Jesus. I encourage you this morning to depend upon him, talk to him about your relationships, and in the context of communion, thank him that he died in my place to pay for my sins and rose again to give me a brand new life.